0: Thank you for joining us on the underdog podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I'm your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by BetterHelp. Here at the underdog, we know life can be difficult and sometimes you need to talk to someone. That's why we have partnered with BetterHelp, the leader in online therapy underdog listeners can save 10% on their first
1: month go to betterhelp.com forward slash underdog that's b-e-t-t e-r-h-e-l-p dot com forward slash underdog to get your discount today UDP Nation this episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic otherwise the conversation probably would have been a little different So we're hoping to bring an uplifting and positive conversation to you with this interview. Today, we want to welcome our guest, Jeff Picaro, who is the, uh, he's a local celebrity. In our minds, uh, he's a sports reporter for Fox Sports and works with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, And we're definitely, you know, proud to have you here. And I know it's been a long time coming. So uh, welcome to the UDP. Thank you, man. This is an awesome place you guys have here. It really is. It's a cool office. A little bit better than Fox Sports or... Yes, (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs> it, it actually is
0: the only thing you don't have are the big TV screens everywhere that they yeah, have. There you go. We got one big T V screen. I saw We probably need a few more. Yeah. All right. With this good looking I, I said he's like forty, but he's I'm not gonna age. We him. won't age say what him. he was, but he said he's older than that. But I was graduating high school before you were born. Whew, so. man.
1: He said he we'll get in there. Yeah. We'll get a yeah, we'll story, Walker, line, Bo but, Jackson. We'll, yeah. We'll get into that a little it's later. Pretty cool playing with those guys. Um well <sighs> With the recent tragedy, um, that recently took place, you know, with, um, the death of Kobe Bryant and Gianna and the seven other people, uh, we know the power of sports brings t- people together, no matter age, you know, gender, ethnicity, um, and then any of life's other challenges, um, sports have been an intricate part of your life, um, to this day and you still face, you know, some of life's tough challenges. Um, as mentioned before, you're the proud father of three, um, Talk to us about the beauty of being a parent, and you kind of touched on it a little bit before we started recording. Um, and raising your son, Nick.
2: Yeah, I, I think one of the things that that is hard in this business. It's it's a great life. Obviously, you get to travel. The kids loved it when they were younger going to Chicago. I have two daughters as well, and you know we stay right there in the Miracle Mile, right next door is the American Girl doll store. So you know they're over there, you know, buying everything and having lunch with the you know, people that are models that are dressed as the kids. And, you know, you go to Florida and you stay at the Trump international resort, you know, it's in each room's 900 square feet. So the kids, you know, they're, you've got the private ocean right there, part of the ocean and three pools. And so it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of perks that go with it. Then the, the flip side to that is everything that you miss. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many, how many times I've had to say from San Francisco, happy birthday, you know, to them on the air, right. um, you know, how many recitals you miss, how many, you know, the the girls did competitive cheer and competitive dance, uh, you know, Nick uh, rode horses and, and things like that, that you just, you miss all of that. Um, and, and it's it's tough. And that's the toughest part. That's why, you know, with Kobe, he was so tight with Gianna because, you know, she was doing what he did and she was going to be a great basketball player. And, and Gino R. M. had already you know, given her a scholarship or offered her a scholarship to come to play at Connecticut. Um, it, you know, and, and that's why Kobe wanted to spend so much time with his kids because during the season you're gone. Right. I mean, you're gone for six months. Uh, and then with me, it, it, as soon as baseball's over, I go right into football and I, you know, I do 14 weeks of football, um, and then basketball. Right. And then baseball starts again. So it's, you know, the cycle is pretty hard. So you have to have somebody, a wife, um, you know, a, a significant other that is, is willing to make sacrifices because you're, you're just simply not there for for a lot of these kids' lives.
1: How have you been able to, how were you able to maintain that strength in those relationships with, because you see a lot of times that, you know, those those relationships can easily be fractured.
2: Well, they can. Um, it, it, because when you get home, you have to give them all of your time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then to have a, a special needs child, that ratchets it up, you know, a couple levels, even on top of that. So, uh, with Nick, who's autistic, it's a challenge. Um, and you know, now as the girls are getting older, it's becoming more of a challenge as they're moving out and starting their own lives and their own families. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but you know, everything in life, and this is in business, this is in whatever business, um, everything is about time management. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the most important thing. How do you plot out your day? How do you plot out your week? How do you plot out your month? Is the most important thing we see so many people and you guys see it here in all your businesses is is how much time is wasted sitting at your desk on your phone or playing a computer game because you just really don't want to make that call or whatever. Everything's about time management and I think you know if you can get time management down in whatever walk of life you're doing, I think that's the most important skill to try to master. Um, so when, when I'm home, uh, during the season, I'm going to take them swimming. I'm going to take them horseback riding. We're going to go to Great Wolf Lodge. We're going to go to King's Island. You know, we're going to do those things, uh, that I miss, uh, during the season. I, I, it's important to them to know that there's a, um, a a schedule, you know, within their life, a regimented schedule within their wife. And and I don't want to try to break that up, I guess, too much.
0: Yeah and that's so refreshing to hear because I go through as our business has expanded as as you know Jeff my travel as I mm-hmm. showed Jeff earlier you know it has has significantly increased so I'm living in planes not to the extent that that he's going through but um, I think that's so nice for me to hear from someone like yourself and even our audience how time management um, and I could do a better job I'm sitting here thinking I'm like listen to you I'm like wow you know putting the phone down when I'm home it's hard to unplug too so when you're on the travel and then you try to it's like uh, a football analogy. It's, you know, a, a linebacker, you're playing the middle of the game and then you got to get back to just being a, a normal person in civilian life, right? So um, how do you manage to go off of that? Even to help me here, it's a little selfish question I would have. Um, how do you manage? So uh, when you're on the road and you come back, and you got a lot of people pulling at you. How do you, uh, you know, engross yourself and really get in with your kids and, and whatnot?
2: It's obviously a little bit easier for me um, when I leave the ballpark my job's over, the game's over. Whereas you, if you're working on some huge contract or you're working on whatever, that could take it home with you. But I still think that there's times when you can say, okay, when I, when I pull into the garage, I'm on their time now. And if that's three hours that you can give them, then you give them your undivided attention for those three hours. And then at 10 o'clock at night, when it's time for them, you know, hey, I've got to get some work done. I'm yours until 10 o'clock. You want to go see a movie? You want to go ride a bikes? You want to, you know, horseback riding? You want to swim? Whatever. I'm yours. And at 10 o'clock, you've either, you got to do your homework. Um, you know, you got to get to bed, What, whatever, or, or 11 o'clock. Um, but you have to carve that time out for them. Um, and you have to make them feel special. Um, you just do because you're gone so much. And I think you have to give your significant other, your husband, your wife, whatever, you, you have to give them that that's, that's the problem too. When you have children too, because you're gone, she's stuck with them or vice versa. If it's a, if it's a woman doing this. And then when, you know, when, I, when I get home, it's like, Hey, I'm going out to eat with the girls. You know? right, right. <laughs> they're, they're yours. I'll see you. Later. I'll see right. you tomorrow. You know, right. something like that. So, you, you know, you, again, it comes down to the time management thing. I'm talking about you just have to, when you get home, you have to leave that behind. Sure. Work's going to be there. If it's if you have to work at eleven o'clock at night for two hours, you do it. But you have to carve out that time for them. You just have to.
0: Yeah. And how have you managed to kind of stick on your family, which a lot of people don't see. They see, you know, Jeff in front of the television for years, right? And, and you do such a great job, but they don't know. You know, I think they're probably learning, and maybe some do know with your autistic son Nick. You know, you mentioned earlier, you drop them off, you pick them up. I mean, how do you? Um, you know, talk about some of those adverse things, trying to be there with the, you know, a special, I don't know if special needs would be the correct terminology, but, um, you I know, I think it goes back to that old saying, it takes a village to raise a
2: child. Sure. And and that's kind of what you have to do. You know, the the one thing that scares me the most is if something happens to me, if, if, if I were in the same situation as Kobe Bryant, okay. And and I'm gone, what happens? That is the biggest thing that a parent of a special needs or developmentally disabled child or person uh, faces mm-hmm. is what happens if something happens to me, to her, to us. Um, I, I don't want that burden to fall on his sisters. You know, it's, it's not fair to them that, you know, now as they get to the age in their 20s where they're gonna get married and start a family, now I have to, it, it's not fair. My friends don't have to, you know, watch their brother or or whatever. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing um, that that uh, that I worry about. So you know we're trying to build an assisted living community here for people with de- developmental disil- uh, disil- disabilities over in Springfield Township. Um, and when that opens, uh, we hope that that's going to be in about uh, eighteen to twenty four months. Where we'll actually have people living there.
0: And that's um, the Ken Anderson, not to interrupt, yeah. that's a Ken Anderson yeah. initiative that you're on the board there. Yeah, and- we, I,
2: you know, <clears throat> I, I lost a kid to SIDS um, 27 years ago when Nick, or uh, 25 years ago, Nick was two. And so we started, I started doing golf tournaments and I had a bunch of, you know, I had all kinds of people coming and playing the Sam and Kenny Walkers of the world, you know, for those Kentucky fans, uh, uh, Kenny Anderson, uh, Anthony Munoz, you know, Max Montoya, all these guys that I knew, uh, James Brooks. Uh, you know, that came and played in our event, and then you'd get the local celebrities, the Cami Durkings and uh, Bob Huggins, and and people like that through the years. And I was you know I was getting this money and giving it to Sids and Sids, and and then you know you've got an autistic kid, and, and and Sids has got a ton of money for research. Autism had nothing, so I said, you know what, I'm I'm gonna flip this over and I'm gonna give it to you know Autism Speaks or of Autism Alliance of Greater Cincinnati and kenny anderson came and we had it at uh, belterra and uh remke's grocery stores over in northern kentucky was a big sponsor we had 60 foursomes and we played we played uh, uh you know d- two shotguns during yeah. the day actually we did a sunday night and a monday we did a two-day event you had to spend the night so each foursome got two rooms golf yeah golf yeah at Belterra. <laughs> so each, each, each foursome got two rooms <laughs> Um, we had, uh, we had great people like, uh, blessed union of soul came out and played one year. Greg Austin band came out and played wow. one year. Bronson came out and played for us one year at the, at the party. So it was pretty cool. And Kenny said, man, this is awesome. And Marty, Marty Brenneman and Nuxie, and then played Marty goes, do you mind if I do this with my golf tournament? And I go, well, I don't care as long as it's going to the, you know, t- to the kids charity. So, um, Kenny said, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this. And I said, well, it's not named anything and I'm just giving the money to the autism society. Why don't we start a foundation and use your name? Cause everybody knows you. And uh, so that's how it started. And um, now it's grown to the point where we have our golf tournament, we have it at Makatiwa. And we had this year, we had two, sh- two flights, 30 groups, you know, wow. so 60 groups. Uh, and we, we, we did it with DSAGC, which is the down syndrome of greater Cincinnati, which is Dave Lapham's. So Lapham and, and Kenny Anderson. And it, it, we made, gosh, almost $400,000. Whoa. So, wow. yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's significant monies to, to try to put, to build this, this place. And uh, we finally got the, uh, we finally got the spot, the acreage and um, yeah, our drawings are, are, you know, we're just waiting, you know, if you ever building thing and now we've got a, ours is work, live and play. Okay. So we try to get these kids jobs. We've got aquaponics. If you've ever heard of that, which is growing. Uh, And this is a huge thing now because we're just running out of space in a lot of cities. So aquaponics is basically, we have a church uh, and over the Rhine and we grow lettuce. We do uh, about 400 pounds of lettuce a week there. Right now, uh, all of Ruby's lettuce comes from us. We supply Jeff Ruby and some other uh, restaurants in town. When we get the new place built, we're going to be tenfold. We'll do about 4,000 pounds of lettuce there. Uh, We can do tomatoes. We can do peppers, all kinds of vegetables uh, to grow inside. Um, So it gives these kids jobs, meaningful jobs. Sure. Um, That's one of the, we have a play side uh, where we, 500 individuals in the greater Cincinnati area, we do about 18 to 25 events a month. And that's going bowling, it's going to Reds games, it's going to Bengals games, it's going to watch parties at Dave and Buster's to watch the Super Bowl, Crone uh, uh, Conservatory, things like that. Um, so it's, we're, we're trying to get all the facets. And then obviously the live is building this f- these facilities, uh, single family, duplexes, fourplexes for these, I call them kids to To live in over there and have assisted where we'll have nurses there around the clock. We'll have a rec center there where they can go in and and get on uh, the computers and things like that, uh, where they can get occupational therapy, physical therapy, uh, audio, uh, everything. So that that's that's kind of what we're our, our vision is for this facility when it's when it's done.
0: That's fantastic. So not only are you in front of our community on the television, more importantly. You're doing great things in the community, and got a lot of respect for that. So appreciate what hey, you guys you know, are doing.
2: Dan Marino has got the the, the flagship down in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has an autistic son who actually played football in high school.
0: Um You know what's crazy to do, add on to this? Know? His sister lived across the street from me in Pittsburgh, and when I lit, when I grew up, and he would roll in with his limo with all of his kids. He got a bunch. Yeah, he's like six or seven or eight. How or cool is that? And I met I met him. I met Dan and I met his kids. And so I remember him being so passionate. Yeah. That's crazy. Small world. Where you're talking about that. And now you're saying Dan Marine. I'm like, oh my gosh. Dan's yeah. is huge. Yeah. We're trying to make something
2: here where you can replicate this in every city in the United States. Right. Sure. So we want to do it here where we've got an offshoot in Lexington, Kentucky, which is right down the road, 80 miles that they're going to try to replicate what we're building there as well. And now you've got uh, you know, governor DeWine and, and, and God rest his soul. Jeff Portoon was mm-hmm. a big backer. He's like, I think this is awesome. This is, you know, um, governors in every state will want this because you get federal money as well when, when you build these things. So, um, I, you know, it could be a huge boom because that, that to me is the biggest problem that we face is what do we do with all these handicapped people, the developmentally disabled people, uh, that it's just autism has exploded. Um, you know, in the last 10, 15 years.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. And diversity, inclusion, we talk about a, yeah. a lot of times, even in our line of business. And definitely, um, you know, we hope maybe there's things down the road we can connect on that as well and help, you know, employ, like you said, in that part of living and working. Sure. So and I really appreciate that. And something also I think we had in commonality to kind of change pace a little bit, um, both former walk-ons, yeah. football players yeah. that earned scholarships, yeah. something I'm extremely proud about. Yeah. I think there's something in that DNA. I tell people all the time, the the those that if you look across the board, and I follow very closely. I watch all the walk on stories mm-hmm. you see in college, and then you follow them after after what they've done after school, and, and typically, um, that adversity of having to earn that scholarship. So I want to I want to learn it. Something I always talk about baseball with you, uh, and uh, something I want to kind of revert back to is, is, is my football time and your football time. <laughs> so you were uh, under we under.
2: Were- you guys got great helmets. we had the double little helmets and no
0: (laughs) (laughs) the little now now that i know we had water helmets. we
2: did we had water and air it was crazy like bell and riddell helmets oh
0: man yeah he didn't have the new uh fancy face mask and visors and (laughs) (laughs) we got like
2: the double bar you know that that double bar that's uh-huh. on top of the top, like my junior year,
0: we are all like, "Oh, this is cool. <laughs> the huge hip pads. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Dude, we look, you walked out there, you look like the Megatron or <laughs> yeah. something. You're running the like, cotton, yeah.
0: the cotton girdles yeah. with yeah. the huge, uh, you know, butt pad. Oh yeah. Thigh pad. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> now you yeah, are agent. We were talking about like playing with the guys, you're with Herschel Walker and, and different. I'm like, dude, there's no way, you know, but it was um, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your time, in Kentucky and, 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 uh, you know, how you were able to, uh, persevere and do well and, and earn a scholarship. Well, you know, I was, I was always
2: small growing up. I was, I graduated high school. I weighed 136 pounds wow. I in high school. Holy cow. And they had a, and your how, alma mater. And how, how tall? Oh, like five, eight.
0: He's like, I what? grew, I grew. He's like, a skinny Wes I, Walker. <laughs> I
2: literally grew four inches and about 30 pounds in my freshman year of college. Wow. I literally I was like I put a pair of pants on and one day they fit the next day, the next day, the next day, you know, and you're like, I need new clothes. Here. You went to the dining hall, found some food. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but um yeah, it was it was a situation where I actually went my senior year, a bunch of us went to Miami, of Ohio. They had they had a, a a camp there. And uh it was a fantastic camp. I don't even know if it still has it, but it was awesome back then. The cradle of coaches, you know, and Woody Hayes and everybody, you know, and you're like, oh, dude, so I went to this camp and it was an awesome camp. And, um, one of our coaches, because you were in cabin, they had, you know, the cabins and, um, one of the coaches was Larry Kirksey, who was the wide receiver coach at the university of Kentucky, who then left Kentucky and was Bill Walsh's wide receivers coach for the 49ers. And he had a guy named Jerry Rice and Jerry Taylor and, uh, 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 John Taylor. So he had, you know, Larry few, okay, guys. Yeah, Larry was great. So I was a quarterback too, just like you in high school. And I got uh you know, I got out there and I said, dude, why don't you, you need to move? You, you you can't play quarterback at this size, and you know, if you want to try to go to college or something. And I always had good hands. So I so I played wide receiver and Larry was great. And he was like, Man, he goes, You you got a big heart, man. You're not scared to go over the middle and uh um, you know, we, we what about like Kentucky? and you know i wasn't a great high school player by any means um i could have gone to like eastern kentucky at the time who was a really back then it was one double a and they were they were really good roy kidd built a fantastic program down there but i you know i had these grandiose dreams of you know being the next uh stanley morgan or you know willie galt or something
0: so i said yeah those guys <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Aging Willie, yourself sorry. Willie Galt. No, yeah, I'm just playing. Will yeah,
2: Willie Galt, for those who don't know, was an Olympic track star, but he also was a great wide receiver, played Chicago for the Chicago Bears, Bears and right. stuff. And Stanley Morgan played at Tennessee with Willie Galt and Reggie White. Uh and Stanley Morgan was a great NFL player, had a great career too. Patriots and a bunch of other teams. But um so I walked on at UK and uh Coach kersey who was the head coach at that time, um, I made you know red redshirted my freshman year, grew, got bigger, stronger, uh, because you know you're at the training table and you've got an actual weight program and and things like that. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. The, the the guys that you meet playing ball, you got you both know this are friends that you have for life. Mm-hmm. You know you're with those guys all day. You know, yeah, I mean you, we had to be a dorm. We had a dorm. Um, We had to live in Kerwin One at Kentucky. It's a football dorm. So you're eating with them you're sleeping with them you're practicing with them the only time you're not with them is a class and heck most of your classes you had 10 or 12 football players in anyway so you're with them 24 hours a day for what eight months out of the year and then then you had summer workouts so yeah they're they're brothers you know and and they're some of my best friends are the guys that i played ball with growing up but uh
0: yeah it's it's fun i love like when you say that It always brings that inside feeling and we talk about it with our Miami Brotherhood, um, guys we played with. And I remember for, you know, you don't remember the records. I remember right. we went to two MAC championships at Miami and then we had three bad years. We ended on a bad year and I was like embarrassed. And so I just, you know, disassociated myself with the program because I'm like, ah, oh, no one remembers records. You remember the relationships.
2: Well, I was You don't, I don't miss the games. Right. Mm-hmm. I miss everything leading up to the game.
0: Right. You know, I missed
2: back then two a days for three weeks. I missed, You know, you, you, you got to campus, they took your car keys, parked your car at the track, locked the track and you were theirs. Mm -hmm. We had, we actually had three days. We had a kicking practice at night um, and everybody had to go to it. So, and just the bond that you make with these guys, that's what you miss. I mean, you talk to anybody, talk to Kenny Anderson, you talk to mean Joe green, talk to Herschel Walker, they games are the games. They're all the same and they all, they all run into each other. But what you miss is everything that happens leading up to that game and after the game and sitting in the tub or getting operated on with your buddies, you know, that kind of, that's that you just, just miss that.
0: Yeah. That and, part of the game. and has transitioning from college into the broadcast as the broadcast or the reporting broadcasting, being involved in professional sports and college athletics, has that bridged that gap to kind of keep some of those relationships? It has. Yeah. It
2: has. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy going to practice and, and, the one thing that I noticed, like, I, you know, I still do Kentucky games. I've been doing them now for 18 years. They never run. I mean, they don't, they don't run. Yeah. Like we used to have to do sprints all the time. Forever. You, you, you drop the pass. <laughs> you got to hit. If you drop the pass, we're a legitimate drop. Yeah. Then run. Yeah. You had to run all the way down to the other fence, touch it and all the way back. And you better make it before your group goes. Where your group goes again. Are you going again? Or else you're going to run because you weren't in the huddle.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. I mean. They never run. And the other thing, they never hit. They don't do Oklahoma drills anymore. They don't do any of that stuff because the guys are just so big now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't play. I I couldn't. Um, Receivers, they Ahmad Wagner for Kentucky last year is, what, 6'4", 235, and runs, you know, what, a 4'4", 40? Come on. Yeah. I mean, they have linebackers now. I mean, you look at these guys in the NFL that – they're faster than I am. Right. So what What am I going <laughs> to do? You know what I mean? They're just, it, it's, that's the biggest thing to me in sports. And this is in every sport. I mean, you walk into Red's locker room, you'll think you're in the Bengals locker room.
0: That's some big dudes. I mean,
2: Aroldis Chapman, you ought to, he takes his clothes off and I'm in there, you know, and he does not have an ounce of fat on his waist when he got here was probably 27 28 and his shoulders were two of mine
0: well al puig they're puig. saying that the trainers when we were talking to the trainers down in arizona they been a bit of linebacker it's crazy how big yeah. he is but chapman looked like a boxer wow i mean it, and all these guys and now every
2: pitcher is six four taller mm-hmm. um it so to me then, then to get back to college all these recruits now i mean he's these guys are 18 years old they're six 320 pounds you know and you're like and they're not fat no dude they're built like he is like you are they're, they're
0: L- like they're me. jacked and you i'm like yep you guys I, heard that everyone who's in here what, no more dad bod no deleting no, that patrick
2: it's amazing though i mean we had a 300 pound dude and he was like Jabba, you know from, <laughs> from star wars you're like dude can you even run do something where are your with legs this. right yeah And now these guys walk around at 325 pounds and everybody has them. I mean, you go watch Alabama, you go watch Ohio state, go watch UC, go watch, and you're like, you guys are monsters, man. Mm -hmm. That that to me is the biggest thing, nutrition and, and stuff like that. But yeah, to get back to your point, yes, that has, I do like to go back to practice and that kind of gets your juices going again.
1: keeps me. What, what made you want to, uh, get into broadcasting?
2: (laughs) Uh, That's a great question. And I've got a great answer for you. I wanted to go into PR. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, when I was in school, how a company presents itself to the world. That's what I wanted to do to help, you know, tailor that. And uh, so you're sitting there after a game and this guy who drives a BMW and he's got a nice suit on comes in and says, Hey, how did you feel when Kyle threw that interception? What? That's the question you're going to answer. So I'm like, okay, this guy drives a nice car, wears nice clothes, and doesn't know jack squat about sports. Right? So I said, damn, I could do this. <laughs> so I changed my major to telecom, broadcast journalism, and that's it. I mean, these seriously, that, that's kind of what it was like. These guys, I'm like, these guys are covering. They've never played. Right. They never played football. Most of them have never really played basketball or any sport. And I'm like, dang, this guy's got a nice living. And I'm not calling out people. But Ken Brew, he never played sports. Denny Jansen, he never played sports. John Popish never played sports. Those guys made a great living doing this, right? So I said, man, that's that's what I'm going to do. So that's how I got into it.
0: Wow. And before we were talking about Tampa 2 defenses and linebackers dropping here and there, <laughs> I was like, that that's the quarterback and then wide receiver. So he's got a little bit of both of us, Black and Decker in him, mm-hmm. you know? I'll tell you what's interesting too is, when you
2: when I watch a game, right. I can always tell what position the color analyst played because a receiver, my key as a receiver is I is a safety first, right? Because that tells you what coverage it is to me. Mm-hmm. Dave Lapham, for instance, he's watching, you know, tackle to tie. He's in the tackle box right. and that tells him what play is going to be run i'm with you
1: 100 there I, 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 i'm the same way so if
2: i'm just if i tune into any game and i listen for five minutes i'm like okay this guy was a db or a wide receiver oh this guy was a, a quarterback right. this guy was a lineman you can just tell by the way mm-hmm. we break down a game by the film that we watch to study how the game should be played
1: right now did you <clears throat> i'm sure throughout your career um you've had some adverse moments uh like bruising my
2: heart. Yeah, that was
1: fun. (laughs) What's, what role did, you know, athletics and just kind of your DNA of being a sports guy play with helping you, you know, persevere in your career. Um,
2: it it was in Brad and me. My father played baseball at Ohio state. He played with Frank Howard, Johnny Edwards, John Havlicek was actually second baseman as well. He was the first round draft pick in football, baseball, and basketball. Wow. He was the last player cut by the Cleveland Browns. And, um, Paul Brown told him, son, I have two Hall of, he, at the time they had Paul Warfield and uh, I'm losing my mind. Bobby, can't remember his name, but both of them are Hall of Famers as wide receivers. And back then they didn't carry 55 guys like they do now. And he said, go play basketball. You're, you're, you've are you got a great career in basketball. I can't, you, but if I kept you, you would be one of the best wide receivers there is. He was the last player cut, told him to go play basketball. And then obviously having Chuck was, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so it was kind of inbred in me. My brother played baseball. Uh, went to college, played baseball. My other brother played through high school and then he went and followed my dad's footsteps as being a doctor. So, but it was inbred. Uh, My family is sports, sports fanatics. Um, And and then for me growing up in Lexington too, horse racing was big. We had a farm behind our house. It wasn't our farm, but it was a farm behind our house. And uh, so I've done Kentucky Derbies, Breeders' Cups. I mean, that's, it's kind of in your DNA down there too. So uh, it's, it's been a big part of my life. It's, and, and it's a part of my kids' lives, so, you know, my daughters, uh, have, have, like I said, competitive cheer, competitive dance. They've traveled all over the country doing it. My son loves to ride horses. Um, yeah. So it, it sports has you know, sports has been the vehicle that I use to get where I ha- am in life right now. Yeah.
0: And then to sustain excellence, I always talk about how do you sustain over a long period of time and you've been doing it at a high level for quite a while. Um, what are some of those mechanisms you could share? Cause I think everyone, at least in my opinion that, you know, uh, desires to sustain excellence at a high level of performance in whatever career they're in. And I'm always striving for that and to learn from others. So I guess to get to my question is what, what are some of those maybe is it discipline? Is it uh, consistency? I mean, you said time management, is there anything else you could give our listeners of how you've um, once again, they see you for that, that time on TV, but what goes sure. behind the scenes to create that consistency of your performance in front of the TV.
2: Well, I, I think it, it time management obviously is a big thing, but I, I think just in, this is, again, this is something that if you're selling cars, if you're selling insurance, whatever preparedness, be prepared. Um, I'm sure you guys both know this and you probably had this. As you walked out on the practice field every day, we had this huge sign. that says luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yep. Um, so every morning during the baseball season, um, get the kids up, everybody's dressed, out the door to school, to work, whatever they have to do. I read The Enquirer, I read the USA Today, I go to MLB Trade Rumors, I go to ESPN.com. Um, and ESPN is playing the whole time on know, get up or, or whatever <laughs> the whole morning. Um, so preparedness, be prepared. Um, I'll never forget um we go to Dodger Stadium. And obviously everyone wants to meet Vin Scully. He's the greatest broadcaster. There's not, there's not a second place. He's Mount Rushmore. And, um, he just, when you, you, he walks into and he, and he says, Jeff, how you doing? And you're like, damn, Vin Scully knows my My name. name. (laughs) And he's like, Hey, sit down. And you sit down. And for the, Three minutes that you're sitting across from him—it's you and him. He's not. There's 20 people in the hallway that want their picture taken. There's Ray Romano. There's, uh, you know, whoever. They're waiting to have their audience with the Pope, and that—that that, that's him. And Vince says, "Hey, tell me a little bit about this Joey Votto. G- give me something that I can use today. Or what? What? What is it that makes Jay Bruce tick? And." You know, you sit there and you're telling some stuff and he tells you stuff. And when he's, you've given him that, he says, thank you. And he shakes your hand and he says, have a great broadcast. And you're just sitting there and you're like, that was Vin Skelly. And he does that with, I mean, he knows everybody. Jim Day walks in. He goes, Hey Jim, how you doing? Chris Welsh. Hey Chris, how are you? George Grand and him. Hey, they're hugging each other. You know, he's just, he's, he's, he's the all time greatest. What and, makes him great. And that's what makes him great is he's yeah. prepared right. because he he didn't have to ask me. He didn't have to ask Welch. He didn't have to ask George right. because when Vince does a game, you know, I I heard the Joey Votto, da, 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 da. And you're like, and if you're a Dodger fan, you're like, how the hell do you know <laughs> right. that Joey Votto, oh, oh, here's a great one. Todd Frazier coming to bat here in the bottom of the fourth, or top of the fourth inning here, three-run score. He goes, Todd, of course, had his, uh, well, he had this cereal that he ate, with was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I'm sure for breakfast this morning, Todd had Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, Todd ate Cinnamon Toast Crunch every day. That was like his, pre- he loved Cinnamon Toast Crunch, to the point where, I think it was General Mills, sent him a pallet <laughs> of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So Todd was really, so this is something you talk about paying it forward. Todd brought it down to the fr- fr- free store, food bank or whatever, mm-hmm. downtown. Uh, you know, he took, took one of them and then gave, I don't know, 150, however many hundreds of boxes to them. So you tell Scully that, Scully weaves that into his broadcast. And, and if you're an LA fan, you think, how the hell does he know that Todd Frazier eats Cinnamon Toast Crunch every day before a game?
0: He did his research. Dude. He's committed to his craft get, beyond that's just and the topical, right? And the other Gets thing with deep.
2: sports, if I'm selling cars for whoever, Jeff Weiler or whatever, I'm selling cars every day. I'm trying to sell, you know, whatever Jeep Wrangler, uh, the, the Toyota Corolla, but in sports, every day is different. Every game is different, right? right. Every game is different. And that's the beauty of it to me. That's mm-hmm. why it doesn't get old. I don't know if I could sell real estate. I don't know if I could sell insurance. I don't know if I could sell cars. But in sports, every game is a different game. You know, you could play the Dodgers three games and they're totally different. It'd be Kershaw and and Castillo. It's a one-nothing game. Then the next day, it's a 14 to 12 game. And the next day, it's four to two. And it's totally different. There's a different hero every game. Right. You know, that to me is why it's the greatest job in the world.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the questions I had was, um, I'm always interested as well, not only sustaining excellence, but as far as teams you've been around, right? You've been in for a while, so you get to see behind the scenes what the average fan doesn't. Right. What has played into, whether it's at Kentucky or it's at Cincinnati or some of the opposing teams you've watched, what what, is, what are in those teams that maybe someone listening could put into their company culture, but what, what, what makes those DNAs of those teams so successful? You just took the words right out of my mouth with the DNA there.
2: There is one common element in every successful team or program. I don't care if it's urban Meyer when he's at Ohio state, Nick Saban, uh, you know, when he was Bob Huggins, when he was at Cincinnati, there's a common thread to each of those teams. And it's, you have to have a leader and a structured leadership in these teams. And the biggest problem to me, if you're asking me what's wrong with the Reds, they don't have that guy. Since Scott Rowland left, there has not been a leader for the Reds. I'm a big guy on on cohesiveness mm-hmm. in a team. Um, and I don't care if, if you're selling pizza. I don't care if you're selling cars. You have to have The Everybody has to work together for that common goal right right it's as if you go to mcdonald's the the one thing that you like about mcdonald's if i get a hamburger at mcdonald's it's the same in cincinnati as it is in grand rapids as it is in texas i know what i'm getting if i get a pizza i know it's la rosa's pizza here or lexington it's the exact same pizza right right if i get a steak from you know tony's or ruby's i know what i'm getting and in in sports you've got to have that cohesiveness. Everybody has to work together. You can't, have, you can't have a disjointed team. And when you see a team that's really talented, that doesn't win, and you're like, why did they, why? And then I hear, well, this guy's a real jerk. He's, he's on his own. He's a I, I, me, me guy, you know? And for the Reds, they just haven't had that leader. When they brought, the reason they brought Scott Rowland in, even though it was the end of his career and he wasn't the same Scott Rowland that was the Phillies and the Cardinals and all that, it was because he had a presence. Right. And I'll tell one quick story about Scott Rowland. Reds are uh, in spring training. They're doing a first to third drill. means every, all the, you line up at first base and you run first to third. It's a single hit to the outfield. You're expected to get to third base. So Rowland's at the back of the line. He watches everybody go through once. Watches everybody go through twice. So he moves up. He says, excuse me, let me, let me cut in here. And he's right behind Jay Bruce. Now, Jay Bruce is a, is a really good ball player and, and works pretty hard. Doesn't dog it. Go. There goes Bruce. Go. There goes Roland. They get to second base and Bruce is looking back over his shoulder. Dude, what are you doing? Dude. As he's basically almost passing him and they get to third base and Scott goes, you practice this like you play. If you half-ass it out here, you'll half-ass it in the game. It can't happen. And the problem is, you're one of the leaders of this team. They, and he points to all the young guys, are watching you. And if you're only going 3 quarters, they're only going to go 3 quarters. I mean, you brought up Kobe Bryant earlier. 100%. Kobe had a bad game after the at, people don't what people don't see is where you The difference between being a a good player and being where Kobe was or Michael or any of those guys, LeBron. It's the game was over. Everybody leaves the arena. He goes back out on the court and shoots 200 jumpers. Did you hear that Alan
1: Iverson story? Not to go down the rabbit hole, but the first night they met when out in LA, they went to dinner and Alan Iverson, they went went to dinner at night and Alan asked him, What are you doing after this? And Iverson's like, I was on my way to the club. Kobe said, I'm going to the gym. And he went and shot till like midnight. Yeah. (laughs) And that, but, but
2: that's, that's why he's the superstar, right? That's the difference because when, and this is what I tell these guys and, and there's a sports psychologist named Bob Rotella, who's making a ton of money because he goes to golf. He goes to baseball players. Look, you've made it to this level because you're pretty damn talented. I never played because I wasn't talented enough to play, but you've made it to this level because you're a really good ball player. The difference is the four inches between your ears. That's the difference between being a great player and being hey, just an okay player.
0: It's kind of like me in uh, fancy baseball, like 13 of 25 for 16 RBIs for my father-in-law Todd. Was he here. six for eighteen? Six for eighteen. Yeah. So how was, many RBIs did he have? Four. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: It's out there now. So it's it's official. That's recorded. Yep.
1: But
2: wow. again, I mean that's that's the difference yeah. in that. And and it and it's an any walk of life, if you want to be successful, you've got to put on, the, put in the time mm-hmm. and it's not just showing up at the office and sitting in your seat. Yep. And that goes back to what I talked about earlier about the time management stuff. That's what it's all about. Don't just show up to work when you're there for the five, six, eight hours, whatever you're in that office work.
1: You know what that reminds I mean, one word that keeps coming to mind or one phrase is great teams yeah. along with that leadership. They police themselves. Yes, you police yourself. You know what I mean. You don't don't just show up. You know you know what you have to do. Right. You know. accountability, yes. accountability. Well, that's yeah.
2: what I was talking about. The, the coaches weren't going to yell at Jay Bruce, right? But Scott Rowland can. Yeah. Todd Frazier could police when he other. was here, and that's why they've gotten some of these. You go out and get a Mike Mustakis. Is he probably out of position playing second base? Probably, but he's been a winner everywhere he's gone. He's won a World Series. And you're trying to bring that to rub off on the other guys. Joey is, look, Joey is a borderline hall of famer, right? For Joey Votto. He is a see how I do it guy. I'm going to go hit. Does anybody want to come with me? He'll take BP out on the field for the, you know, he gets 60, 80 swings, whatever it is. Then he goes inside, has a quick bite to eat. Then he goes to the, he goes into the cage inside and hits for a half hour he brought Suarez. Suarez was going, where are you going? Because I'm going to hit. Why don't you come with me? So Suarez came with him. And then the next day, Suarez came with him. And the next day, and now Suarez and him do it every day. Right. And then towards the end, Billy Hamilton was like,
1: hey, man, where y'all going?
2: <laughs> said, Billy, we're going to go hit. Oh, man, I already hit out there. They said, why don't you come hit with us? So Billy started going in there with him, too. Right. Um, but that's how it, that's, you know, you you've got to you've got to go hit shoot jumper instead of going to the club. You've got to go in there and prepare yourself to be ready for whatever you're doing. You've got to be prepared. You cannot go into a meeting with somebody in in whatever you guys are doing and and not be prepared and know, you know what, what you're trying to convey to that, that person that's
0: buying what you're selling. So we're, we're releasing your episode, uh, for opening day. So right around the, I think it's going to be the day before, um, in honor of the the Cincinnati Reds here and obviously your role, but let's talk about this year's team Of and let's start with the leadership with Moustakis or anyone else and obviously building that clubhouse. And I, I'm a, a Cleveland Browns fan, as hard as mm-hmm. to admit at times, <laughs> but we were the paper champs, as all, a lot of these these guys will say. So we got all these guys on paper and I think that's what the hype around the Reds now are getting all these guys to come in, just signed what Pedro Stro- Strope or Stope, Uh, yesterday and uh, a couple other guys. So what, what, what needs to happen? Where where are your thoughts? Obviously you're the closest to the pulse. So what, what are your projections, you know, headed into the year and where's this all going to kind of materialize? they spent more money
2: in this off season than they did in the whole two thousands combined in the off season. You've got to spend money to make money in everything, but you have to spend it in the right places. Um, and I think they did. They brought Pedro Strope in because he's a veteran guy who's been around. he has been around a winning team. He's been to the world series and he'll be, I Iglesias was going to be the most veteran pitcher in our bullpen. So you bring Strope in, um, to, to, to be the leader when, when the Reds were really good, you had David Weathers, you had Cordero, you know, you had these guys at, at, And and again, I think it's important to bring in Nick Castellanos, another guy said great success and stuff. And if, as you see what they're doing too, you bring in the kid from Japan, Shogo is, is if he can do anywhere near what he does in Japan, um, if that can translate to the majors, that's going to be a huge upgrade there. And and I think the other thing that you're doing is look, it's kind of like recruiting in, in, in football or basketball or in college you you you're trying you've got good guys but you're always trying to get better guys i mean this has been said a lot Jesse winker 2 years ago was he was going to be the next great outfielder for the reds i don't know if he even makes the team this year because you've you're recruiting over that guy right yep and and that's what they've done and i think you have to and this is kind of a uh, i want to say touchy but you have to have a leader for American players, and you have to have a leader for Latin players as well. These guys, I I don't think anybody realizes what it's like to come for some of these Cuban kids who Mm -hmm. don't speak English, who now all of a sudden, Aroldis Chapman is in America, he's got millions of dollars, and doesn't speak the language. Could you imagine being dropped into Russia? Here's $5 million, now play hockey, be a great (laughs) hockey player. Okay, I can't speak the language, where do I eat? where I get my hair cut, what, what, you know, what do I do? Um, so you have to have somebody who speaks that language. When we go to spring training, Barry Larkin works with a lot of the, a lot of the infielders and stuff all the time, and a lot of them are Latinos. Um, he speaks fluent Spanish, and it's really cool because he's so passionate. And I could tell the guy, get your butt down, you widen your stance, and I'm saying in English, and they're like, uh, but when you hear it in your own native tongue and as well as he speaks it to them and they're thinking, this is a hall of famer, he's learned my life. When we would play the Dodgers, you know, they have a, they have a Dodger network that uh, Spanish network, Barry would do interviews with them in Spanish. Would, they wouldn't speak at all in English. They'd introduce him in Spanish. He would question it, answer, question, answer, question, answer in Spanish. It was awesome. Wow. Um, you have to have that now, and this is permeated throughout sports because of the influx of talent from around the world that you're getting. Uh, yes, you have, uh, y- you know, you've, you've got translators now that that each team has to carry for for your Latin players. Now we're going to have to have the Reds are going to have to have a translator for a um, Japanese. Uh, so it's a fractured setting inside that clubhouse so someone has to bring that together and they and it's those veteran players that you're bringing in so you bring in a moustakis and he pulls everybody together mm-hmm. uh, you bring in castellanos he pulls all these guys together you pull you bring in Strope, he pulls all these guys together and then who's going to be the guy that ends up being the leader uh you know you don't have to have the c on your chest like Derek jeter had to be the leader um, like i said joey is a guy that watch how I do it, try to emulate me, but he's not a raw, raw guy. Um, so it's, it's, there's a real fine line there as to inside. It's going to be interesting to see in this clubhouse in spring training. And as the season starts, who start, who takes that step forward and becomes that Scott Rowland, uh, that Barry Larkin, that, Cause they need that. You, you know, need that. Need that of the one yeah. of those guys are going to have to be, yeah. we all know
0: that from football. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, here in business, like you said, it, someone has to be that leader and communicate. I think there's a one common thread too, like communication, being able to communicate. And I know, and you're not just saying, that. I know you're a little apprehensive uh, saying the different dialects for different languages, but Neil, my buddy, who was the first guy on the podcast. I mean, I've for 10 years, he's been playing the major leagues and he talks about that. The mo- I mean, it's there is huge uh, divisions within clubhouses. Like you said, they have all the talent in the world, but they can't communicate. And it's the Latin players are here and the the English speaking guys are there and they don't talk to each other. And that's a problem because you're not going to win at the end of the day. You're not going to win the World Series that way. Um, you might get uh, a winning record or you might maybe get to the wild card, but you can't get past that step, at least in his opinion, and what I'm hearing from you. So it's I-
2: interesting. Yeah, I had a buddy that played for the Packers and he was African-American. And he said, Jeff, when you go up there, he goes, There's not a whole lot of us around. And he goes, you know, you go to eat somewhere. Everybody goes, All right, he's either a buck, you know, he either place for the Milwaukee Bucks or the Packers. Who is he? You know, and, and he's where do I eat? Where do I where do I get my hair cut? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I do up there? And and you're thinking, wow, this is 2020. Right. And it's well, you know, this was 10 years ago, 2010. And there's still kind of that division within, you know, within us too. Right. And, and you don't think about that. And that's what we're talking about. When you have a, a Latin player, somebody that doesn't speak the language, you know, when they go to eat, they just point, you know, Tony Perez used to always say, I get what he's having. Cause he did. He couldn't read the menu. If Pete or Joe ordered a steak, then I'll have that. Even if he didn't like it, I'll have that. Cause he didn't know how to order, you mm-hmm. know, and that's hard. That, that's 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 got to be tough, man. Yeah, it's got to be tough.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And I I hope, and I'm rooting obviously for the Reds. I'm a, I know one of our hot questions, which I think maybe is a good good bridge here. So why don't we we do a hot uh, hot seat? We call it. uh Oh, I don't know. You're you're pretty savvy. So, Iroy, um, here we come. He's a savvy Italian here. As do a little Italian. Uh, you did in the locker room the little Italian since we got Larosa's in here. The little Italian. Uh, Little personation. I think so. I it's a brut over there.
2: Right? <laughs> Santa the
0: Oh, man. I heard it in the locker room. I was dying. He's pretty good. He's, he's got it. It's in his blood, obviously. So, um, speaking of the Indians, uh, and Calvin put this, of course, to, to, because I'm an Indians fan. Um, okay. who will be better? The Indians got a formidable team, but who is going to have a better season, wins and losses, Reds or Indians? Reds. Only because I think
2: the Twins are really going to be good. Um, and the White Sox are really going to be good.
0: Yeah, they got a, a lot of guys. I, I think coming. you have
2: to think, like, the Reds, remember back, they used to kill the Cubs and they used to kill the Astros. I mean, you could say, that's 16 wins for each day. It's 32 wins right there just because we're going to hammer those teams. Then the Astros got good, so the Cubs <laughs> got good. And then you're like, uh-oh, you know? So right. So I think you have to look at the other teams around. I think I think the Reds will have be better. <clears throat>
1: What would you say the, uh, your funniest or most enjoyable moment in the dugout has been (laughs) Uh, obviously all the times when they, they win and they get
2: the, uh, the bath, you know, and, and trying to avoid getting Gatorade and everything else thrown on me. Uh, the, the other cool one was, uh, being on the field, doing the interviews in 2013. Was that when Jay hits the walk-off and, uh, uh, getting a cigar stuck in my mouth and lit. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. As like, we're in the clubhouse, yeah, we're in the club. I'm sorry, it was in the clubhouse because everybody got, people on social media need to relax. Somebody like wrote my bosses at Fox and said, I can't believe he was smoking inside of it. And I'm like, hello, do you not to see there's a hundred people in here and everybody's got a cigar and you're gonna single me out for smoking on camera? Come on. <laughs>
0: Hey, we said we started off saying you're a big celebrity, aka legend. So you know what? That that comes with a price tag. So um so speaking of that, uh I guess an embarrassing moment on camera. What's your most embarrassing moment? Uh when Homer
2: had his second no hitter and he cussed um on the air, that was kind of embarrassing. I had to apologize for him saying the F word on national television. That I want to go back and check that one out. <laughs> well, they <laughs> actually made shirts. They had t-shirts made, uh, that said that, it's, yeah, he, he was, he, you know, he missed the perfect game because he walked the guy and he made the third out batting in the inning before. So he runs, he walks back to the grabs his and Homer is a very regimented person. So every, between every inning, he would walk down behind, the, the dugout, there's the hallway that leads upstairs and they have a lot of pitchers will do this. Bronson was great with this. He would go down there, sit down, there's a fan there and a chair and they'd have, they'd have bananas and Gatorade and, uh, you know, all uh, the the Gatorade uh, gel stuff, you know, and they'd sit down there and you'd towel off and suck down one of those Gatorade things that runners, you know, have the, the mm-hmm. quick energy stuff. And you sit there for a minute or two and just kind of, you know, regroup yourself where well, you go out. Well, Homer had to basically just walk back to like his glove and hat and walk out. And he walks the first guy, of the inning Then obviously gets out of the inning, but he would have had a perfect game. So I asked him the question. I said, you know, had you not had to hit? And then he answered that. So probably not the best question to ask him, especially somebody like that who hates everybody in the
0: media anyway. So, Oh, okay. how have our questions been easy?
1: Okay. He's, all right.
0: These are snowballs. All
1: these
0: right, all right, so. <laughs> are slam dunks. We were talking Is about a good thing or bad thing.
1: That's a
2: good thing. Okay.
0: Who's your favorite coach you've worked with? Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker.
2: Yeah, Dusty was the coolest man, he, and the stuff that he went through here, nobody will ever know. But it was, it was, it was pretty hard on him, man.
1: Yeah, uh,
2: yeah he, he's he's a he's the best. I mean, he's yeah. just what a great. I mean, it's so a great hire for you, Houston. Then, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think about him for he was on deck when Hank hits the home run. I mean, he's on deck. Mm-hmm. I mean. I think Willie, Willie Mays is his son's godfather. You know, Bobby, Bobby, and he tells you these stories, and he, he could tell stories all day, and you're just, he is so cool. You'll walk in his office one day, and John Coltrane's playing. You walk in the next day, and it's the Commodores. You walk in the next day, and it's Pearl Jam, and I'm like, dude.
0: yeah. And he goes, man, I
2: just love music.
0: Corky, Corky told us some good stories about Dusty. So. He's the best. Dusty yeah. is so cool. And think about this, and I'm not a fr- baseball guy first, but... He won in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He won here in Cincinnati, and so with all the adversity that the Houston Astros are now going right. through, that could be a good hire I to band this thing together. He is great
2: with a veteran team like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, it's part. And, and for him, I'm so happy because he can now get that one more chance to go out on his terms instead of somebody else, because he deserves it. And he, He's got a chance of getting 2,000 victories with Houston, too, because he's at 1853 or something like that. So if he can do two years there, he'll easily yeah, get easily. 2,000, and that's, you know, hopefully he'll get in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's just a, a wonderful guy.
1: <clears throat> of all the sports you've covered, from the Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, football, basketball, baseball, what would you say is one you probably enjoy the most or sticks out the most?
2: The sport or a single game? the sport obviously you know football i, I played it and everything the, the one i enjoy doing the most is basketball Why? because it's timed it's you're <laughs> in and out in two hours um and it's usually exciting and it's upbeat and when the game's over you're like it's it it's over and you're you're on this high you know baseball you can do a four and a half hour game and it's two to one and six errors and you're like god is this ever gonna end <laughs> and in football you could play know somebody you know Kentucky could play Alabama or UC could play Ohio State and you're like is this ever gonna end? You know (laughs) but uh in basketball it's boom, boom, boom and you're done. Um
0: how's Coach Cal? How's Coach Cal to work with?
2: He's he's great. I'd never forget the first time I met him uh was that he had just been hired and Kentucky was having football it was football practice before the season it was a close practice and my dad was there. Um my dad was a faculty rep at the University of Kentucky as well. And so me and him were standing on the sideline watching practice and Cal walks up and he goes, you must be Jeff Pecorro. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, I'm Johnny. I said, yeah, I know who you are. I've done actually done some of your games when I did Atlantic 10 games. And he was like, oh, okay. And he asked my, then he goes, you must be his dad. And he goes, I am. And he asked my, my, my cousin, it was Tipacor, who was a coach at Fordham. And he goes, is that your, co-? yes. It's part of our family. Oh, well, nice to meet you. Um, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a, he is, he's, he's, he's very high stroke. I've never seen a practice. I remember going to Huggins practices back when I did UC and Huggins would just kill them, kill them whenever anybody made a mistake on the line and they had to run, you know, uh, gassers or whatever you call them. And, uh, and Calipari's practices are the same way. I mean, they, from the minute he walks out and blows his whistle until practice is over, they don't stop they're just running it right the the difference between Calipari's practices and Bobby's practices Bob was defense and he he we're going to play defense first and defense is going to create our offense with Calipari it's all we're going to run the other team in the ground and all of you guys are the best players in the country. I get These ten guys here, there's not a team that has got ten better players. There might be a team that has five, but there's not a team that has ten better players. And every minute, Anthony Davis and Michael Gilchrist are going one on one. Demarcus Cousins is going one on one against you know the whole practice. It's run, run, run. Alpha dog versus alpha dog for two and a half hours, and I'm exhausted. Halfway through practice, I'm like, I need water. <laughs> I need to sit down and these guys are still going.
0: So it, truly iron amazing. sharpens iron yeah. mentality yeah. of Calipari's
2: uh, a he's he focused focused guy.
0: Yeah. Um switching back to the Reds this is one of the last ones we have. The reds are obviously the hot topic going in the opening day here prediction on the over uh, the the reds uh win i guess line would be i think it's a right around i think it's changed <laughs> since all the acquisitions yeah. but i think it was around 80 low 80s what what are you thinking
2: i think higher than and again it goes to you have to look at the teams that you play the most you play the teams in your division 19 times um and
0: the pirates have a 43 million dollar payroll so yeah. the pirates are <laughs> a team
2: that that goes into the what we used to do mm-hmm. to the cubs and the astros you're going to beat them 16 times let's right. say right um i think the cubs are are starting to go into train. I think the window is is rapidly closing on them, especially if they deal Chris Bryant. And now I know this show is going to air the day before. It may have been dealt by then. But uh, their team, I think they're short on pitching. They really need to go out and get a pitcher, a starting pitcher. John Lester is not getting any younger. Um, their bullpen is a mess. Cambrell's uh, on the back end of a Hall of Fame career. Um, they can hit. Baez is a fantastic player. Rizzo bryant schwarber i mean they can hit i I just think that they're they're deficient pitching wise i think the reds can can put it to them i still think the cardinals are going to make a big splash they do every year they got goldschmidt last year they're going to get somebody before the season starts uh and milwaukee can mash i just think they're a pitcher too short as well they lost jeffress uh and out of their bullpen i still think they're a, a a solid number one starter away from being really good so i think the reds can win the division um i definitely think they're going to be in the wild card i would say i would say over and under to me as would be 90 instead of 80 i think they can win 90
0: 94 Love games this let's year. go yeah so let's, i let's mean go. look they've
2: got you've got the best starting five in baseball
0: and again i'm not talking about top three or top two another outfield's deep or maybe third their base they might is, sign me they might I mean, sign you know, I just gotta keep plugging. Me, Picaro could hit in the th- four hole. Well, I, I think what's gonna more. happen is Mustakis
2: will probably start the season at third base. Oh. Moose
0: can play third,
2: and then you know you've got uh, you've got plenty of guys that play. Van Meter can play second. Yeah. <laughs> and as crowded as the outfit is, Sinzel has been an infielder his whole career all the way. I I did you know I do SEC baseball. I saw him play. He was a shortstop at Tennessee. It was very good. Um, now he's gotten a little thicker and, and stronger. I think he's more of a. Second baseman now. I just don't think he's as smooth as he should be if he wanted to play shortstop. But I think he would be fine at second base, Um, and then that gives you a a pretty stacked outfield. And if again, I I think the biggest thing for them is Aquino was had such a hot start. How does he now respond to the way the pitchers will pitch to him? Because now they have a book on him, so he has to adjust. Can he do that? If you could get twenty-eight to thirty-two home runs out of Aquino, this team wins the division going away. If if he struggles and hits 200, then you're, you know, then you're, you know, but your pitching is is fantastic. And with the addition of Pedro, they're going to be really good in the bullpen too. So, yeah, I'd say 90-94 wins.
0: Reds might not be the underdog this year.
2: I don't think so. Let's go. Yeah, I don't I, think so. I don't so.
0: think they're the underdog at all. But we had a great underdog story here with Mr. Picaro. You know, we appreciate I mean, I it is. You don't know, give yourself credit. You're definitely humble. Um, is there a way – well, first of all, I'm the challenge Reds Nation and uh, especially the group we have at Fancy Campus. Go support Ken Anderson Alliance Foundation. Yep. I think I said that right. Um, driving you know, a lot of good dollars to a great cause. Yep. You heard it here uh, at the beginning of this podcast. And so I know there's a lot of folks that are in our group and our community that will, will support that. So let's definitely drive there. Is there anything else how they can engage with you or follow you or support any causes? Uh, I'm on Twitter, just... Jeff
2: Pecorro on Twitter. Um, nah, I just, you know, uh, that's that's the thing that's near and dear to my heart is the Ken Anderson Alliance. Like I said, I'm, to try to build that community for developmentally disabled young adults is is the key. Uh, there's just, there's too many of them um, out there that are left in the cold, you know, institutionalized type of, of housing for them. and And to be able to have a room, have three square meals a day, uh, have a warm shower is something that I think everyone deserves and 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 uh, that's what we're going to try to do.
0: That's fantastic. Well, on behalf of the UDP, myself and Calvin and the rest of the team here, appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.